Hey guys, it's Andrea. We really hate this episode. Stay tuned to find out why. Welcome to the TNG Podcast, the number one place in the Alpha Quadrant to geek out about all things Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your co-host, Sharice. And I'm Andrea. Today we're talking about Season 1, Episode 7, entitled Justice. Sharice, this episode was written by John D.F. Black and Worley Thorne and directed by James L. Conway. The star date in this episode is 41255.6. This is a a doozy of an episode. I'm sure mm-hmm. you have some feelings about it. <laughs> yeah, so so in just a second, Andrea's going to read the summary so we know kind of we're all caught up to what this episode's about. But before she does that, I just want to say that um, the first thing I wrote in my notes was, wow. I now have a new least favorite episode. <laughs> I'll get into it as we go into the, as we tear down the episode. Um, but there's just so much about this episode that I just really don't like. Pretty much all of it. <laughs> every minute of it was just like, are you kidding me? And granted, maybe I'm hypersensitive about a few issues, but my word, like, yeah. So we'll, we'll get into it. I have a lot of, a lot of thoughts. <laughs> Definitely. All right. So before we jump into it, let me give us a plot uh, breakdown. The Enterprise arrives on shore leave at a newly discovered planet of Rubicon 3. A small advance party from the ship are sent down to meet with the Edo, the native people of the planet. On the Enterprise, Data reports something unusual orbiting the planet, but nothing appears on the view screen. A small ball of light enters the bridge and communicates with Ricard on a bo- with a booming voice, warning him not to interfere with the Edo, calling them his children. So there's a lot of unpacking with this episode. So they're on the bridge and they have this like forward party go check out the planet and they come back and they just are like beaming from ear to ear and they're talking about how great of a place it is and how wonderful it would be for shore leaf because they just finished this like very rigorous like mission of like seeding Mm -hmm. a new colony. So Dr. Crusher goes, listen, we really need some shore leaf. We really need some time off. And Riker, who's super smiley and I'm going... Okay, so you totally were part of like an orgy <laughs> this planet. Yes. And so was Tafiar, very <laughs> yes. clearly. And they go, they make love at the drop of a hat, any hat. And I think it, that cracks me up because the next thing that is said is, is Beverly going, well, wouldn't that be a wonderful place to like get some fresh air for the kids? <laughs> and I'm like, wait, mm-hmm. and like oversexed planet. You're like, let's send the kids. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, so a couple of things. So in that scene where Crusher comes in to say, like, we need some shore leave, it's really funny because Troy and Picard are in in the middle of a conversation. Like, Troy is in the middle of a sentence, and Beverly walks in, and she's just like, Picard. Like, totally interrupts, totally rude. And then Troy, using her amazing powers of intuition, goes, Dr. Crusher has something important to say. (laughs) I just, I didn't think that was so much like the beta set thing. I just thought it was (laughs) passive-aggressive. I just was so irritated by that. I was like... What, what was the purpose of you even saying, clearly she just interrupted you mid-sentence. She heard you talking. She saw you talking. She has social skills. Clearly this must be something important. But then her something important was like, we need shore leave. And I was like, come on, Bev, you could have, you could have waited till they finished the sentence. Like you that was just kind of rude. You could have just sent that in an email or a pad. Sure. Or just a little combat. Doo-doo. You know, hey, crush her card. We need some shore leave, buddy. Yeah. Like, what's the status on that shore leave? Yeah. Where so anyways, on? but that, that's like an aside. So here's the thing. So far, we are we are now on what episode seven, right? So mm-hmm. far, every alien species they've come into contact with has been backwards savages. Yep, that are just like you know they're primitive, they're dangerous, they're nonsensical, they're barbaric, um, and almost all of these aliens have been brown. 
So there's these brown yes, backward brown black, savages. Yeah, yeah. So here we have Caucasian aliens, and instead of picturing them as primitive backward savages, they are actually idyllic. They are yeah. all blonde, and they're all. Mm-hmm. I wrote yeah, Aryan. It's very oh alien. It's, it's very a- Aryan race. They're all blonde, <laughs> and and even though clearly this is still like a quote unquote primitive race, right? They're still going with the theme of aliens are primitive, but yeah. in this case, instead of saying they are primit- primitive barbaric savages they're actually seen as like they say it several times like this is like paradise this is like eden this is like instead yeah. of being primitive they're seen as simple instead of being savages they're seen as being like the ideal and i just yeah. thought that was like or just like early in their evolution racist. yeah it is yeah. it's it's like the ideal alien race is the basically the aryan nation it's like yeah what why yeah super tacky so rubicon three is actually filmed at the Donald Tillman Water Reclamation Plant, which is located in Van Nuys. Hmm. And it began its operation in 1985. You can actually take a tour of this water reclamation plant. It's basically a water treatment facility. Mm -hmm. But I think in trying to like show how like reclaimed water could be used, they made this Japanese garden, which is what is the setting for Rubicon 3. And the, the filmmakers liked this location so much that they reused this water reclamation facility as the setting for Starfleet Academy in season five. When oh, Wesley... it's Utopia Planitia? No, it's not Utopia Planitia. It's the episode when Wesley is part of that investigation into like how that pilot mm, okay, died, okay. right? Mm-hmm. Where we see Tom Paris. So they, they basically took, if you, okay, so I Googled images of the Donald Tillman water rec- reclamation facility and it looks exactly as it does in this episode. In the show, that's Yes, cool. you can go take tours there and you can go to the Japanese garden, which I totally want to do. It's in Van Nuys. Some other fun facts is they used it several more times as shooting locations for Deep Space Nine. Mm -hmm. Um, it's right under the flight path of the Van Nuys airport. So while they were filming, the incoming planes were so loud that the actors had to reshoot all of their lines, like in a soundstage. And then it was like dubbed over. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Which sounds like a total pain in the butt. Yeah. So they beam onto the planet and I, again, you are going to a planet where like free love exists. So it's very much like Woodstock 1969 mm-hmm. where everybody's just doing it everywhere. And that's cool. But why would you have Wesley be part of the like forward party? Like you would think that you would have, you know, some forward parties who would deem it's, you know, right. you know, an acceptable, uh, unacceptable or, or fine. And then mm-hmm. they'd be like, okay, now we can send the kids. But they're like, let's just have this 15 year old go bouncing around with the adults. And yeah. Then- they do those super cringy like hug greetings. Oh and my goodness. Wesley is so cringy, but I love this. I love that Wesley is cringy for us, but he's also cringing himself. He's like, right. oh, I don't think he's I like, need this to. This is awkward. Yeah. So so they had the they had the away party go, like a couple people. They had just like um the first officer, Yar, a couple other people go. Sure. And then when they came back and they said, let's, leave, let's send a bigger party, that's when Beverly was like, this would be a great place for the kids. They would be <laughs> wonderful there. And then Picard goes, okay, Wesley, you go to see if it is a great place for the kids mm. before we send anybody else's kids there. And he's like, I would love to, you know, because he's an acting ensign. So yeah, you go and kind of scope it out. So they get there and they're doing these like super invasive, really close cuddle cuddles. Yeah. And um, you just see like Troy is like, okay that's lovely she gives like a little hug and she's like mm, okay mm-hmm. you're like very much inside of my personal space right now yes, yes um you're you're a big hulking man and that's great and also i don't know you and then they come to they come to wesley and it's just like i how do how do you experience love like how do we do this for a child and it's like don't you have children on your planet 
Like what? How, what That's the heck? True. You must have children and, everywhere as much sex as you very, guys have. They very quickly harness a couple of kids to play with him. So obviously they're like accessible and they're around. It's not like you just clone yourselves and come out like fully formed and sexually like ready as an right. adult, right? Like, no, it, it is very weird. And I do like that at least that actress who plays like the main girl with that really yeah. bad labradoodle poodle wig. Mm-hmm. She kind of gives him a hug and just goes like, okay, we're just going to hug you. But Yeah, like- she gives him like a tiny little hug and it's just like, okay, this isn't really fair for him to, um, because we want to do some grown up stuff and uh, he's not a grown up. So let's just find some kids and drop him off yes. and we can go do our thing. Yes. So the kids, and like- the kids that they wrangle to play with Wesley, I wrote WTF on my card because one of them is a girl who seems roughly Wesley's age. And then there are two boys and one of them is clearly like 25 <laughs> and he's in these little shorts and he has, if I may even use the expression, he has like the happy trail of like pubic hair going from like his belly button down into his groin and it's not covered by his pants. And I watched it and I went, whoa, what the hell? So I like, missed the happy trail. Oh and my I will God. never rewatch this episode. So I, I guess I'm just not going to see it. Um, it was, yeah, these it outfits was, are like unreal. No. Yeah. No, the outfits were the most ridiculous Thing, uh, by the way, if we can call them outfits, can we call them outfits? No, it was really oh just gosh. straps around their bodies. Yes. Okay. So listeners, as a treat for you, I did screenshot a bunch of like really great shots of these horrendous outfits. And I'm going to put them up on our Instagram at the TNG podcast. Come and check it out and let us know what you think. Because you know what? Also, also the women that they have in those outfits have like perfect bodies. And the main guy has just like a very average body. And like, I have an average body too, so I'm not shaming him for it. But when they have you running around and bouncing, like I thought casting could have done a better job and gotten, you know, if this is supposed to be like a land of like fitness and everybody's free loving, but they're also running all day long and like exercising, like you should probably throw somebody with like six pack abs in that. Because whenever the man ran around, you know, there was like a lot of bounce and wiggle and jiggle. And it was, it was like, oh, this is not a good casting I didn't, choice. I didn't even notice that. I just Ugh. felt like everybody was tiny and slim. And I just thought to myself, how did they find like 50 blonde white people to run around in the background that are all thin and wearing like half, like next to nothing? I just feel like, ca- like, I'm thinking of the casting it's director. It's well, Hollywood. Okay. <laughs> yes, it's Hollywood. But I mean, did they stand on a street corner and say, you, 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 not you, n- not you, 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 do you have a sister? Okay. You and your sister, uh, you, not you. Like, I don't know. I was just like, really there. I didn't even know. I haven't seen this many people that look exactly the same concentrated in one spot right. like, in my life. I live in, I live in LA. We've got all kinds of people. So yeah, every that was interesting. And color and rain. Yeah. No, no, no. This was, yeah, and there, this was, this was a great, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. You go. There's a scene where the main girl is walking with Picard and she kind of turns to the side and I was like, oh my word, there is a slit in those shorts. <laughs> the shorts are only four inches like from your waist. Like they're yes. very short shorts and there's a slit all the way up to the actual like waistband. Um, basically. waistband. Yeah. I was like, what? they're not even, they're barely even wearing shorts in the first place. And now the shorts are cut in half. What in the world? I do, I do appreciate that there are a few shots that have like um, elderly and they're more covered up, which I was like, I I did notice that. And then the kids, the girl that they have played with was more covered up. She's more covered up. And I went, oh my God. Okay. Yeah. Thank God they have a 15 year old girl who's not having slits all the way up her butt crack. Oh my God. God. They gave her some shorts that are like covered around her butt. (laughs) I saw so much side boob in this episode. It was like unbelievable. (laughs) And I mean, listen, I'm in my thirties. I'm not super prudy, you know, but even, okay. I I actually couldn't help but feel bad 
for the actors because here you go landing a role on Star Trek, which is really highly rated. You know, you're coming out the gate with these high expectations and you show up to the costume department and they hold up a couple of strips of toilet paper basically and go, this is your costume. And you're like, what the hell? (laughs) All right. So, okay. We're, we're way going off the rails here. So this identified vessel appears and it's a different type of vessel than we've ever experienced before on Star Trek because it's both there and not there, which I think is very intriguing. And the scientist in me went, oh, it's Schrodinger's cat. Which, for those of you who don't know the Schrodinger's cat principle, this scientist, Schrodinger, put a cat in a box and then decided through some sort of laws of physics, which I don't completely understand, and maybe we need to have PJ back to break it down, that the cat was both, sometimes he would lift the lid and the cat would be alive, and then I think he put multiple cats in there, I think, and sometimes they were dead. And so he surmised that the cat is both dead and alive at the same time in like two separate realities, basically. And it just depends like which reality you lift the lid on if the cat is dead or if it's alive. So this happened- A horrible experiment. Yeah, no, it, and, and, and it happened like more than a hundred years ago. So there, the same conventions weren't in place to like, you can't do that to cats. But I thought this is a Schrodinger's cat ship right here. Like it's there and it's not mm-hmm. there at the same time. How do you wrap your head around something that's there and not there? That was very cool. The ship was very cool. Mm-hmm. The little ball of light was very cool. It was kind of like a bubble like a light yes. bubble. Yeah. And that was very cool. And it just penetrated the shields like nothing. And it had the booming voice. And I thought, I thought all of that was very cool. But again, as a Christian, I was just so offended by their concept of God, just so offended. And I was oh, like, see, when will this effing episode end? Oh like it just see, kept going. I didn't see it that way because I don't practice anyone religious. So, okay. So what are your thoughts on that? Cause I had literally no thoughts. I was like, Ooh, a cool ship that's there and not there neat (laughs) (laughs) and the ship was cool the ship was cool and the alien beings were cool (laughs) all of that was cool all of that was cool what i didn't like was the whole like you know these are my children and they're like you know um this is our god and we worship it and we fear it and then they're basically boiling it down to well god is just like an alien entity that's more technologically advanced and only basically it's kind of the it's the argument that i hear a lot because i'm i'm a scientist and i also am a christian so People, um, I, I would get this a lot when I was training in, um, in school is that people will say like, well, if you're a scientist, you can't also have a religion because religion is for people who are unintelligent. It's for people who are not smart because mm. people who are smart and people who know science know that the whole world can be explained through science. And so only smart people would, you know, be scientists and only dumb people would be religious. And there's a lot of like, um, a lot of reasons for that, that belief. And so that's just kind of something that I've always faced where I'm like, you can be both. You can be a smart, intelligent scientist and also have a religion. Like you can do both. Right. And so I felt like this episode was kind of a throwback to that, right? Where it was like, these Edo are very like naive children who don't know any better and they're just not smart. And the, but the enterprise, they're smart. And so they know better. They know this is just an alien species. And when they come down and, you know, she's all like, you were up in the sky with God. So you must be gods too. And they're like, oh no, we're not gods. We're just we're this advanced race and that's all that it is. And, you know, it just can be explained away by science and you guys are just so like dumb, you know? I could see that. Um, I did like when she said you were up in the sky with God, so you must be God's. My first takeaway was if somebody asks you, if you are a God, you always say yes. Okay. <laughs> just say yes. And be like, also, we're going to beam our kids off this planet and boom, bada, boom, boom, boom. Right. Like, yeah. are you a God? Yes, honey. I am like, <laughs> if you yeah. are asking, I wonder if that, I wonder if that breaks the prime directive. If you're just like, well, since you asked us, yes, we are a God. So we're going to need Wesley back because he's also a God. 
Well, okay, bye. Does that break the prime directive? Then I I don't know. Are they allowed to claim godhood? So backing up just a little bit, we find out while having colorful cocktails on the planet that there is no crime because there's only one punishment and that punishment is death. And every day there's like a different zone. And if you commit a crime in that zone, that's like when you die. And so nobody is with like, Tasha gives the example of like, you guys will kill someone for walking on the grass. And the woman with the poodly wig goes, well, no one's willing to risk death. So nobody will walk on the grass. Like it's a perfect system. It works. Mm -hmm. And then they go, "Uh uh-oh, where's Wesley? (laughs) And so they run to meet him. Meanwhile, he's playing ball with his friends Mm -hmm. and crashes into this little greenhouse and kind of crushes these little flowers in a nursery. And uh uh-oh, it turns out that that nursery has the like white marker around it which is that tells you don't go past this or that will break a law yes exactly that's the punishment zone so they so they run over and wesley is going i'm fine like it's just some flowers like it's fine and then here's where they go uh the ito say okay well you've broken a law so there's only one punishment we have to administer the the lethal lethal injection injection." right Mm -hmm. so that's a big old problem for the enterprise (laughs) understandably um but because you know, they're treating the enterprise as guests. They say, well, we'll hold him till sundown and then we'll kill him, which, you know, thank you very much for your hospitality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you're so just going to extend his stay by a couple hours, mm-hmm. but that gives, that gives the enterprise time to sort of figure out like what to do. Um, something that really cracked me up was finally, you know, the, the away team has been cut off from communication with the ship for a little bit. Wesley crashes into the flowers they stop the lethal injection in the nick of time. And then Riker is able to contact the ship again. And mm-hmm. he contacts the ship and he's speaking to Picard on the bridge and Beverly is there. And Riker goes, we've had an issue with a member of the away team. He doesn't yeah. want to say Wesley. And that to me was the equivalent of being like, is Beverly there? Uh, take me off speaker. And I was dying over that. Cause he's like, uh, is, is, is Beverly there? <laughs> so that, that killed me. Um, and yeah, the whole concept of like one single punishment for every crime, it was dumb, but whatever. I mean, it was effective, right? Uh, they had no crimes. They had no crimes at all. So that was effective. That's true. So they, so they bring this female aboard the ship because they want her to identify what that other Schrodinger's cat type of ship is. Like, is it there? Is it not there? Do you recognize it? And data tells us that the ship is more advanced. It's like a more advanced race. It's not just one God. It's more advanced race. Mm -hmm. It protects the simpler Edo, which I think that is so unethical. Like, how could you be so advanced and also be taking advantage of, like, preying on, like, the faith of, like, a a Mm -hmm. less advanced race? Like, that's messed up. Mm -hmm. I don't like that. But they bring the girl aboard. She sees the ship and has like a panic moment, right? Where she's like, you know, praying. Well, she or- just, she worships him. So yeah, it's, so she's, she's more like, you know, she's overcome with, with adoration for the fact that go. she's so close to, to her God. Thank you. Thank you. And then, so this God ship starts coming towards the enterprise. They beam her back down and Picard says, I'm sorry that, you know, Troy says, Hey, she was really frightened to which Picard says, I'm sorry that we had to even resort to bringing her aboard the ship to identify this alien ship, like, but mm-hmm. I had to know. And I thought it's the 24th century. Don't you have photographs or like a pad that you could bring down and be like, look at this picture on mm-hmm. this pad. Is this, you recognize this picture. <laughs> <laughs> they bring, which also I think it kind of breaks the prime directive, doesn't it? Like he brings her aboard the ship that they're if not they're ready. They're pre-warp technology. Yeah. They're pre-warp c- uh, civilization clearly. Um, so yes, that totally breaks the prime directive probably for them to even talk to them. Um, yes, I'm guessing I- they're pre-warp since they have no ships. And they don't 
know anything about space and they've only seen the god ship like in space so yeah and they, they probably it- shouldn't have talked to them in the first place Yeah, you know what, that's totally Prime Directive issues right there, which the Prime Directive really starts to play a bigger role in this episode because now, you know, we obviously can't have Wesley be put to death for trampling some flowers. At least not in episode seven. (laughs) We need some some more time with this character. Right, no, we (laughs) we absolutely do. So Picard starts really weighing his options and he's talking more about the Prime Directive, which is to say we cannot interfere with, the practices of another race right. of an alien of an alien species, but I obviously can't let Wesley, Wesley die put to death or mm-hmm. any member of my crew be put to death for you know like especially when we weren't even made like aware of these laws like, before, right. like we didn't know this was against the law. So I think this is really great, Picard. He weighs the options heavily. He takes input from his crew. He has data come to the his quarters, mm-hmm. and he says, "I'm I need help, my friend." Which I love that he uses that word, my friend, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and asks him for help. What are your thoughts on this? This is a data this is a data heavy moment which I know you love data so what are your thoughts? Yeah, I thought it was really sweet when data was just like what level of communication would you like? <laughs> like how can yes. I how can I speak in a way that does not annoy you? And he's yes, just like he was babbling earlier, yeah. <laughs> it's like I do not babble, sir. He's yeah. just like I, you just may have problems with the way that I arrange my information, like arrange it more succinctly, you know, and then he's yes. just like, you know what, I'm sorry for snapping at you. And he's just like, no, you were right. I do babble. <laughs> like I totally do. Yeah. Um, this was, that was pretty like, cute. It was cute. It was like data kind of learning and growing and like learning social skills. So I thought that was really sweet. <laughs> it was. You know, I don't know if you noticed this, but um, I, I like to look at like background stuff or like little details. Um, data's what eye is it? His left eye, the one that's like closest to Picard is mm-hmm. so like red and raw looking, but his other eye is fine. And I thought, oh, poor Brent Spiner must've been having some issues with like the contacts irritating his eyes or like the 50 pounds mm-hmm. of makeup that they have to like that paste. Mm-hmm. We have to slather. Yeah. And his, and the more I looked at it, I was like, oh my God, look at that. Like it just kept getting redder and redder. Cause I'm sure it took, you know, more than an hour to film that scene. Cause you have to do multiple takes and multiple angles. Mm-hmm. The poor guy was very clearly in some sort of distress with his eyeball and kept it together to act through these scenes. And I went, what a pro, because I would have been like, something's wrong with my eye. You know, yeah. <laughs> I would have had to stop everything. I did not notice that, but yeah, being an actor is like a rough life, right? The, the glamorous part is, I don't know when, because all of the acting seems kind of horrible that you have to be there for like 12, 16 hours a day yep. and all that stuff. But thanks for doing it guys. Cause you did uh, contribute to our entertainment for clearly 30 years. So Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I watched on a panel a while back that they said that they would often finish filming between like three and five in the morning. It was just like these epically long days Mm -hmm. and you're in an uncomfortable uniform. Mm -hmm. And if you're somebody who has hair and makeup done specifically like Michael Dorn or Brent Spiner or Or for data. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They, they, even between scenes, like you can't go to your trailer and take off that makeup and that wig. Like you are just stuck in that because, you know, for continuity, you can't, take off the Klingon head and then put it back on slightly askew and it would look weird, you know, between, well, and also they like splice the scenes together and it's not only shot like from beginning to end, like from beginning of the episode. So in the beginning of the episode, his forehead piece would be like crooked and then like straight again. It's just, yeah, no, it's, people think that acting is so like glamorous and I'm sure there's like portions of it that are more glamorous than our like day to day nine to five jobs, but oh my God, it sounds awful to be honest. Like, agreed. yeah. Anyway, so now, we, oh, we have a shorter uniform at 38 minutes and 35 seconds when tr- when um, Picard and Data are having that sweet little heart-to-heart when Picard's going, I really don't know what to do 
uh, and I don't want to like endanger the rest of my crew if this like godship you know attacks us for taking Wesley away. And Beverly Crusher walks in to like implore Picard, which makes sense. You know, she's the mom. Mm-hmm. But when she walks in, a shorty uniform walks by in the background, and I went, "There's one." <laughs> we're still I totally not, missed that. <laughs> we're still not. We're still not out of shorty uniform territory. But I love that Beverly is upset. And still does her job because she's a badass she's very Starfleet. professional. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. a badass Starfleet officer and she knows her role. So she's upset. She starts getting a little bit like shrill, which I would. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My son for being endangered. Yeah. The son that I, you know, the son that I, do, I don't have kids. Please, du- duty schmooties. As soon as I heard that my kid was in danger, I'd be like, forget Starfleet, forget Picard. I'm beaming down myself. Right. And I'm getting my son. And these little people down here, these little Edo, they don't know how to fight. They don't have weapons. All I need is one phaser. And, I'm taking them all out. Like, and the, done. And the Edo did say, like, you're so much more advanced than us. You can just beam your right. kid back right. and we will just record in our history that this happened and that he's, like, not, like, he's, like, a fugitive from this planet. But we right. can't do anything. So once right. you orbit, like, we're out of your hair, you're out of our hair. Yeah, she so they were like, just do job. it. Mm-hmm. I would go rogue and, like, run into transport. I would absolutely go rogue. I would start a whole war, a whole international incident. So that's probably why I wouldn't have my kid on, on the ship with me yep. or stuff like that for reasons like that. Like it's just, but yeah, so I do, I do appreciate that she was super professional and um, kept everything together and didn't cause any kind of crazy wars to happen. Yeah. Which, you know, Hey, wars have been started for lesser reasons than yeah. you know, a kid being endangered for sure. So at this point now the crew tries to leave, they go back to the planet. They say, listen, I, I don't know what the resolution is, but we just can't allow you to, to kill one of our members right. of our crew. So we're just going to take him. At which point that godship kind of prevents right. from beaming off. Mm-hmm. And then Picard gives this very impassioned speech about justice and how like there can be no justice if the rules are absolute. And apparently that very impassioned Picard Shakespearean type of speech, mm-hmm. which only lasts about 15 seconds, mm-hmm. does it for the, for the godship. And then they allow the crew to beam off and then they zip away. And I just thought, you know, normally when we're talking about issues of the prime directive, you're trying to explain it to the other race. You're trying to find some sort of compromise where maybe neither one of you is super happy with the result, but at least Mm -hmm. like there's some understanding. None of that happened. Like the poor Mm -hmm. Edo were like, so we just got screwed. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then the ship goes warp six, engage. And that's it. Mm -hmm. Like that's it. This Well, and then they said, because the Edo were saying, well, God will judge you. God's going to come against you if you don't follow our rules. Mm -hmm. Um, God's going to punish you himself. And then when the Godship prevents them from beaming across, yeah. then those, um, those whatever police officers of the Edo were saying like, see, that's true. Like our, our God has stopped you so that way we can punish you. And right. then he makes a speech. And then as the Godship changes their mind and the transportation happens, then Picard says, I guess your Godship agrees with us. <laughs> yeah. And so it's just kind of like, this it was, was not a very not very good resolution. There was no satisfying ending. This this episode was just completely pointless. I will say at yeah. least they didn't have the weird um subplot of like some other alien race like murdering each other on the ship or something oh like we had God. in our previous episode. Yes. Um, like so at least they didn't have some this? Yeah, or or actually in all of our previous episodes, I think we've always had like a planet that's about to die, a ship that's about to be destroyed, some horrible thing happening on the other side that's kind of a subplot you're right there really i will say at least we subplot. didn't have that this time there was there no really, subplot yeah and there really wasn't much of a main plot either <laughs> so i'm because just very happy I, that this episode's done i've said about all i want to say about this train wreck 
<laughs> so uh, yeah. any final thoughts for you? I would like to never watch this episode again. <laughs> so if you are somebody who loved this episode, I would love for you to send us an email and tell us why, because there could easily be many facets of this episode that I totally missed because I was too busy being offended by all the parts I hate. <laughs> so if you like this episode, please send us an email and tell us why. Help us see the light. You can send us an email to info at the TNG podcast.com. Um, I'm going to throw up those pictures on our Instagram of the really horrible outfits um, on our Instagram, the TNG podcast. Um, Sharice, as always, I love hanging out with you and I love talking Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah, this has been super fun. Yeah, next week we are going to review season one, episode eight, The Battle. So thanks for hanging out with us, guys. We'll see you next week. All right, bye guys. Thanks for geeking out with us. Be sure to join the crew at thetngpodcast.com to be the first to know when we do our live shows or host events exclusively for our members. We'll see you next time.